Before we get started on today's show, we at the podcast would like to shed some light on this awesome initiative that Chelsea fans have put together called Hashtag Chelsea Together. The mission statement reads as follows. We are Chelsea Together. We are fans united by a desire to end all forms of discrimination in and around Chelsea Football Club, regardless of race, gender, sexual orientation, religion, age, or disability. We are Chelsea, and we are together. So, needless to say, we at the Romans Empire podcast fully support this initiative and stand together with those who seek to end any form of discrimination, not only at Chelsea, but within the whole world of football. The fact that this has even grabbed the attention and support of the club is remarkable as well, and it just shows the true power of the football supporter. We support any walk of life, regardless of sexuality, race, gender, ethnicity, or religion. Needless to say, we're hashtag Chelsea together. So, now that we got that out of the way, we can dive into the meat and potatoes of this week. Instead of discussing the horrible outing at the Emirates last weekend... We'll be focusing on Sari's post-match press conference where he basically put the whole squad on notice that he's not going to put up with this bullshit again. Was it risky? Will it work? Should he hold himself accountable? And who do you think it was speaking of specifically? All that and much more on this week's episode of the Romans Empire podcast, where all we do is talk Chelsea and talk shit about everyone else. My name is Zach Corey, and I'm joined by one of our usual suspects, Mr. Andres Velasco who's also the Chelsea community's newest vlogger. Isn't that right, Andres? That's right. As of uh, this weekend, I started the Star Spangled Blues YouTube channel, which will be kind of like my second media to speak about Chelsea and other things going on in the world of football. So please look for the link in our our Twitter page. And yeah, just uh, your comments and your thoughts are only going to make that channel better. So I hope you guys join for this wild ride. Awesome. We're also pleased to bring in Dexter Krishnan from the LA Chelsea Blues. Uh, Mr. Co-President Dexter Krishnan, if I might <laughs> add. So welcome to the show, man. It's about time we finally got you on. Thanks, guys. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm really looking forward to uh, to finally joining you guys. My first podcast. So, you know, really looking forward to shooting the shit and and diving into this press conference. Man, what a what a doozy that was. We really appreciate you taking time away from your newborn to be on the show as well, man. You're, you're taking time off daddy duty, from what I understand. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'll be, I'll be uh, paying that back after this call. So <laughs> another, late, <laughs> another late night ahead. So it's all good. <laughs> well, um, I, I, I really don't know how to transition properly into this press conference because. Oh my God, was it a uh, unusual? Yes, was it? uncharacteristic of sorry kind of i guess um i'm just gonna i'm just gonna go ahead and read um and read off some quotes from him and then i'll ask you guys for your opinions so uh this is an excerpt from sorry's post-match press conference keep in mind oh keep in mind that there's a translator also translating this uh as well because sorry did not want anything to get lost in translation he wanted the players to know exactly how he felt so he literally brought a translator to sit next to him and translate everything from italian so this is what it said quote i have to say that i'm extremely angry very angry indeed this defeat was due to our mentality more than anything else we played against a team which mentally was far more determined than we were this is something i cannot accept we had a similar issue in the league game at tottenham hotspur We spoke a great deal about that loss in our approach at the time, and I spoke to the players, and I thought we had overcome this issue. 
but it appears we still seem to lack sufficient motivation. So I'm really not happy. I would prefer to talk about why we lost from a tactical point of view, but the fact of the matter is it appears this group of players are extremely difficult to motivate. It seems to me that as a group of players, they are not particularly aggressive from the mental point of view. They do not have that ferocity in their mentality. So, whew. Um, Andres, I mean, wh- wh- why don't you go ahead and just give me your your first reactions w- when you found out um, wh- when you read these quotes? Yeah, my short term reactions is it, somebody had to say it. Like it, it's time to finally call a spade and spade and realize that the problems are inside that locker room. And I just feel like since JT left, who was the last kind of member of that old guard. There hasn't been that like ferocious voice that can grab somebody by the scruff of the neck and just be like, look, man, you need to get your act together because that is not the Chelsea way. We do not just give up after a goal gets scored on us and just kind of burn a fire under their ass to get out of their own heads and figure it out. So, yeah, I it's something that, you know, two years ago or what is it four years ago when Mourinho said it we were like oh Mourinho just lost the locker room it's on him then two years just last year when Conte said it we was like oh Conte gave up on us but maybe there's more to it three managers now calling out our players like that has to mean something Dexter what, what what's your take on this yeah I mean I, I think Andreas hit the nail on the head like um at some point we have to realize that this core group of players doesn't have what we're looking for in the in the sense of the the ferocious winning mentality that we saw in the days of, of Drogba and Lampard and Terry and Czech, Ashley Cole. I mean, we you, you you couldn't name I think you know more than maybe one or two players that could get into that squad uh, from our current squad, and it's it's you know the, a, a big reason of that is we we just don't have we don't have the fight. Um, it, they're 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 too comfortable to 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 accept uh, you know embarrassing derby loss at Tottenham, um, mm-hmm. an, another cup match loss against them, and then this embarrassing loss against Arsenal. Um, I think Sorry picked the perfect time to be this honest. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's it really is now or never because if if you know if he waited kind of like Conte waited about a year, year and a half to, to bring this issue up. Mm-hmm. And when, when things are, are going, you know, for, for him, it was starting to really go bad. And that's when he brought it up. And then it just tanked after that. I think with sorry, there's the season's still salvageable. You know, we're, we're in a top four spot. We have a three point lead over Arsenal still, even after the loss. Um, we're still in the Europa cup. We're still in the FA cup. We're still in the, the League Cup semifinal. We're, we're down a goal, but we have this this match coming up on Thursday. So now's the time to ask for that reaction. And mm-hmm. and with hopefully, you know, Iguain coming in on uh, by tomorrow and, and able to start the next game, it it, it adds a little bit of um, you know fire into everyone's ass to, to get 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 shit in gear. I mean, my my first take from this was, oh God, here we go again. Because, like you said, Dexter, I mean, Mourinho said the same thing and he got the sack. Conte right. said the same thing and he got the sack. Now, 
clearly there is something wrong in a dressing room. I think we could all agree on that, that, that I think Sarri does have a point here. The mentality is off because the players do have the ability. I mean, we're talking about a squad that won three major trophies in the last four seasons. So the squad has had a certain degree of success. I mean, but with that being said, if the squad knows with the experienced player we have players we have if the squad knows that we're not going to experience uh you know winning the premier league this season um and that maybe getting past tottenham in the cup is it, it might be a little bit difficult um going into the second leg down 1-0 do you think that the squad has basically just kind of said ah eh, fuck it there's nothing really to fight here for i mean if you're looking at it from the point of view of let's say I don't know, you could pick any one of the 11 names not, or, or any one of the other nine names not named Conte or Hazard and be like, wow, well, look at the results. Look at the way we're playing. We don't have a striker, and our two best players are playing out of position. Could that possibly be a cause for the way Chelsea's playing right now? Andres, what do you think? Ah, oh, man, like like you said, the, those two names are our world-class players, but I just think that if these guys are so hard to motivate – that might fall a little bit just in the short term on sorry because we've mentioned it before. There are players out here dropping five out of tens now consistently, and somehow they still get the minutes. And we have a squad of over 20 players. Like, yes, these guys on the bench might not be the most technically gifted, or they not might you know they might not be as in depth into the system as sorry would like. But one thing that those guys who haven't played as much have is hunger. And mm-hmm. if you bench Alonzo for an Emerson for three games in a row. If you bench Willian or Kovacic or whatever for multiple games, these guys will get in their heads like, damn, I'm replaceable. Like they will move on without me unless I change something. Maybe I'm trying to do stuff on my own or I'm too stubborn to follow the system and I'm the one hurting. Like these are the moments where players get to self-reflect is when they're not on the field. Because if you just keep playing them, you're sending that message that, oh, you're doing just fine, even if you're not. And I think that's kind of where we're at right now with our current crop of players. Dexter, do you feel the same way? I mean, do you think it's just a lack of motivation? I think it's a combination of a lack of motivation and also in in some players' fatigue, um, particularly Alonzo. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I he think looks exhausted. He looks he looks just knackered, right? Like, yeah. I mean, he he looks like he could use at least a few games off and. I mean, I'm, I, I haven't checked, like, the minutes played for the season, but I, I honestly can't remember a match that he didn't play some significant role in. I mean, maybe a, cu- a couple of, like, cup games against, like, the lower-tier teams, but um, even and then... still, he just, started some of those. Yeah, even then, even then. So I think with him, like, you know, I feel like he has the right mentality. Mm-hmm. He has that desire to win. I mean, you know, he's in some weird sense sometimes he's like our best attacker on the field he's making the runs in the box and i mean he got that uh header against the the crossbar and or against the post in uh the the last match and i feel like his heart's in the right place i just feel like physically he's not capable right now and he needs a rest so Um, i mean i mean i'm looking at i'm looking at his uh minutes played right now he's he's played in all 23 premier league matches so far Wow, and has yeah. log, logged in over 2,000 minutes in the Premier League. Um, in the League Cup, he has one appearance. Um, and then in the Europa League, he only has one appearance. But, I mean, then again, the Europa League, I don't really count that as much because we were playing mostly pub side, so it doesn't make right. sense to play him at all. Right. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, I, I definitely get the sense that Alonzo is, is knackered a bit and, and, and we are going to talk about him a little bit later. So I do want to kind of stay focused on this, uh, on his press conference earlier, um, today, actually, or we're recording on Monday. Um, Rizzo Sari had this to say, he said, quote, I don't think it's risky. These guys have a sensible head on their shoulders. So I don't think I'm risking anything. Do you agree with him? I mean, is it risky? Because for me, he's not a stupid man. Everything he does is very calculated. And I've, and I've always gotten a sense, and I've said it on our podcast before that this guy is as honest as, um, as honest of a manager as we've had in a very, very long time in the press room. He doesn't beat around the bush. He says things as they are. Um, um, and, and he's very descriptive. He, 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 and he's very calculated, you know, nothing he says in press conferences prior to this one is really surprising ever. Like most of the time he usually sees the same things we do, um, as fans watching it on TV or at the matches or whatever it may be. So is this risky for, uh, for Maurizio Sarri to go out and say this? And the second part to that question is, do you think it's going to work? Are you expecting a reaction against Tottenham? Uh, Dexter, you want to take this one first? Yeah, yeah. Um, honestly, I I don't think it's risky for him. I mean, history might say otherwise, because usually when the manager has, has taken this route, it usually doesn't end well for them. But this is not even fully into his first season yet. It's at, you know, halfway through through a, a really pivotal point of the year, um, you know, some very important matches coming up. Uh, first with this return leg of uh, the, the cup, le- uh, cup match against, against Tottenham. Um, I think it was a perfect time to do it. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's risking losing his job just because I, I, I mean, it would be insane. And I mean, I, after all, it is Chelsea, so <laughs> we've done some crazy stuff before. But it would be insane to, to sack him at this point with and the just, resources we've given him, also because and, and everything that we've done over the summer to try to get him, mm-hmm. and you know all the, the the legal nonsense that we're in for firing we, conte now we basically burned all our bridges with napoli as well it just doesn't make any <laughs> sense like we, we 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 can't we're so invested i think we're really invested this time for the long haul which um I you know i think every, everyone knew it at at in appointing sorry it was going to take um i think at least at least a year to really start to see the fruits of the system and and maybe people got um you know excited a bit early that you know with with our 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 early season form in the league but i think um you know it's 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 growing pains i think as long as we stay in some of these competitions and we we seal top four by the end of the year i think we're we're good and for him, he had to do it. If they can't react against Tottenham after this Arsenal display and then after these comments and with a, a, a top striker coming in, hopefully in time for that game, then, I mean, he's right. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of these players probably don't don't deserve to be at this level. Andres, what do you think? Dex, you're, you're totally right. And I think... Any other manager would have thought this was risky and they would have sealed their own fate just like Conte. Like you said, if you keep quiet, like it's going to be too late by the time you want to fix it. We don't have a director of football to put in a plan. And I think Sarri's just kind of gut checking Chelsea at the moment. Like, look, I'm doing what I can. 
you guys hired me with like a month left of the preseason with half my players still at the World Cup. I've told you, and he said this also, it's like, I've told you guys what I need. I've told you guys what I want. I don't even think at this point, I really don't think he even wants to be playing Eden at false nine. Like I really, he's like, he's literally just out of options. He doesn't know what to do. Of course not. But he doesn't want to play Giroud. (laughs) Right, (laughs) right. So he, he has a good point. He didn't get the full summer. His system is a vertical tiki-taka or it's supposed to be at full force and we are yet to see that and you mentioned it too we started the the season hot like we started perfect we were top of the league like but then again going into the season we weren't even thinking about top four that was like a, a kind of reaching dream like oh you know maybe after what Conte left us we we might get to the top four we might go deep in the tournament we're all like you said we're in all our competitions we're still ahead of arsenal as much as i want to beat arsenal every time we get a chance to but it's gonna be a growing process klopp and i'm not gonna use pep because pep is pep literally takes one season and he's figured it all out but klopp had like half a billion too yeah (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) fact but klopp took like three years to get to where he is now and there are gonna be bumps in the road and Yes, maybe Sarri's a little too stubborn with how he plays Jorginho, but it's it should pay off if the trust is there. And that's something that I think he's trying to do now. It's Instead of lying to everyone in, above him saying like, oh, we're good, we're good, I, I'm going to be able to fix this. He's telling them, look, the problem is still there and I need help. Like I can't do this on my own. This is a call out to the players to get it figured out. This is a call out to the board to be like, look, I'm not messing around. I need these these certain players, but... Yeah, it's it's gonna again, we need to be patient. Obviously, while we still have expectations, we are Chelsea, we are supposed to be winners, but I, I don't want to start hearing sorry out because of this game. And honestly, yes, he has some blame to what happened, but when was the last time we had a manager just be like, Look, guys, we need to realize who we are and we need to change something, even though I don't think it's that possible. <laughs> like mm-hmm. he's just a realist and I appreciate that. Right. You know, it's 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 his honesty that that initially drew me to him, because when we first were linked with him and when it first actually sunk in with me that, oh, my God, this is actually going to be our guy. I was thinking to myself, well, yeah, I mean, he did great at Napoli, but what does he have to show for it? Besides, you know, a few records in the record book with Higuain and, and, and the points tally and finishing in second and whatnot. The guy doesn't have a trophy. So maybe the players aren't necessarily um enthused about the fact that they have to take orders from someone that hasn't really won anything significant um and as great as as great of a job as he did i'm not taking anything away from him i love the guy um and i think eventually at some point if he's given the resources he will come good but maybe there is a sense that you know you look at the players in the squad um what they've been able to achieve both domestically um with their clubs and and in terms of the international stage i mean we have two world cup winners in our squad um maybe that could also be a cause for his you know uh little initial outbursts it's like hey i'm i'm trying to see if you guys are buying into my system and buying into what i'm doing because guess what i'm in charge but at the same time isn't that naive of him? Because I think we all know as Chelsea fans that the players have the power now. Um, all you really got to do is just try and stick around as long as you possibly can um, and, and and outlast the manager. And then you get a fresh start with a new one. Just ask um, Pogba and Martial. Yeah, exactly. 
Um, so, you know, I, I do think, Andres, I, I agree with you. I do think Sari does have an ulterior motive. This is a rallying cry for his team. And I don't buy the fact I, – I, I, don't, I don't buy the statement that this guy is stubborn and, and, and that he's not going to change things. I just think that he's looking at this team and he's looking at the players and their achievements and thinking to himself, well, why isn't this working? I'm every single player that's fielded uh, that was fielded against Arsenal, a full-fledged international. Two of our players were playing in the World Cup final. Right. We're in our starting eleven, and we put out a performance like that, and we had the player of the tournament as well. You know, granted, he is playing out of position, but you know, it's. It's definitely calculated. Dexter touched on it earlier. If there is no reaction from the team, then he could step back and assess and be like, okay, you got to go, you got to go, you got to go. You're in, you're in, and you're in. And he's going to go, and I think he's going to look at guys like Kovacic. I think he's going to look at guys like Ross Barkley, uh, Marcus Alonso, possibly uh, Azpilicueta to an extent, Willian, Pedro. I mean – that's the thing with our squad is that we we seem to be in this weird state of transition slash we're trying to win now mode. And I, I don't think the club has been transparent enough um, in the way they've conducted themselves the last two or three years. If we really are trying to rebuild, then Maurizio Sarri needs at least another year. And, and, and a I, director of football. Exactly. He needs someone. Oh, please, please. He, he needs someone that could actually attract players and get deals across the line in a in a faster manner. Because yes, although Marina is a good negotiator, she does take forever. But um, I, I, I am getting a, a little bit off track. But I mean, I want to get to the next point. And you know, someone someone on Twitter actually uh, tweeted at us. A new Zach. Twitter don't wanna, I want to I want to just touch one more thing on the players and yeah. And when things are good, our players are amazing, and you hear mm-hmm. the right things, and they defend their players. During the during Mourinho's title-winning campaign, the second time he came with us, when Costa and Fabregas were here, yeah, we were winning. Everything was great. Like, we're going sky high. We're going past teams we shouldn't be beating, et cetera, et cetera. Then when things go bad, the players turn on the manager. With mm-hmm. Conte, we go on this 13-game win streak, 3-4-3. Conte revolutionized Chelsea. The next season, we we struggle. What happens? People give up. We're not performing again. Manager gets sacked. Sorry, made these comments not out of a rash thing, like you said. These this is history repeating itself, and it's just good to have somebody call out not just the players because they need to hear that, but again, the people that are making those decisions that can make the long term difference. So, yeah, can't can't blame Sorry for making those comments. Obviously, you can blame him for the tactical approach, but that's a totally different subject. I mean, because that's actually what I wanted to move on to um, was actually his approach in general. We had a we had an interesting Twitter question. So, new Twitter uh, a new Twitter follower actually tweeted at us at at, Rub, at Rubik P or at Ruby KP. I think uh, they tweeted maybe Sorry should realize already that this is the English Premier League and not any of the others. It's all different here. This league thrashes many big names and brought others to the top of the world's best. You cannot have casual slash usual approaches to any match. They learn you and kill you. I mean, what's your guys' initial reaction to that? Because he does make sense here. You know, the the Premier League is definitely one that takes a lot of the world's top managers and just kind of slaps them across the face with, 
oh shit, this league is way more physical and tactically um, inept than I thought. So I, I, what do you guys think? Dex, you can take it first. I mean, he's right. Um, this is definitely, I, I think undeniably, this is the most competitive league in the world. Um, at the same time, you know, I can, I can also understand Sari's approach of he wants the team to play a certain way, mm-hmm. and he's, he's trying to first have them master the way that he knows best. And he, he touched on it. Uh, it it might have been after either during the press conference or at some point earlier in the season, like he said, you, you know, we could switch to like a four, two, three, one, which he, he, he tried at Napoli for a bit, but what was the point in doing that if they weren't even able to master the intricacies of the four, three, three, which mm-hmm. is like the core formation, yeah. you know, it would just break down. It would do a disservice to the the rest of the team and, and we'd find ourselves back in, you know, back at square one. And, yeah. and really, I mean, you know, we've, We've kind of been down this road a few times, and we've had Conte with three at the back. It worked really well when he first employed it. We won the league on that position, then uh, or that formation. Then teams figured it out, and then there was no really ability to adjust with the personnel that we had. And then same with Mourinho in the the four two three one. We won the league using that formation. Then after a while, things kind of fizzled out, and then you know he got the sack, and so. The, what's the common denominator here? I mean, at the end of the day, we can employ any kind of trick tactics or formations that we want for special games, but at the end of the day, it's up to the players to go out there and execute it. And I think, you know, I would I would pose another question to Ruby KP or whoever else, you know, um, might criticize like the formation. Like, do you think that the players went out and executed the game plan specifically to how sorry wanted them to execute it. I, yeah, I'm, I'm, cur- I'm curious to know if people think Sari's looking at this and like, wow, they're really playing my, my brand of football and we just got whooped like pretty unlikely. And yeah. sorry, sorry also mentioned it at his press conference. I, he under I, he, he seems like a manager that fully understands that sometimes teams are just going to outplay you on their day. Right. And, and he said, I would rather sit here and talk about losing from a tactical point of view. Right. But when it's from a mental point of view, it kind of brings him to this state of what the fuck is going on. Right. And, and I, think he's, I think he's finding out the hard way what, what Conte went through and what Jose Mourinho went through. Because there is something poisonous there. I, I, I don't buy for a second that you know it's the manager not winning trophies and whatnot. It's poisonous, and it's also like a lapse in in mm-hmm. in, con- in concentration. You know, yeah. I mean, look at look at like the Tottenham game, for example, the the three one loss. We were, um, we were, oh yeah, yeah. The, I mean, we the league we, match, yeah, the league match, right? So we we um we just got destroyed in the middle of the park, and you know, people say for that, well, Conte was playing out of position, and so you know that that forced Georgino to get isolated, and then everything broke down from there, and then. David Luis, um, his concentration wasn't there, and so we got scored on way too easily. But if you look at how that game played out, Conte actually should have been further back to help relieve the pressure from Jorginho as as a means of Sarri's tactics. Mm-hmm. But instead, because of Conte's gung ho spirit, like he, he he tried to take more in his hands on the yeah. attacking side. 
which he should not have done. <laughs> well, I think I think that was recognized by him and by by the manager, and yeah. and that ended up causing that isolation for Jorginho. And we kind of saw the same thing in this last match too, where mm-hmm. where Conte wasn't there to relieve the pressure. Pressure Kovacic wasn't there either, yeah. and it just left Jorginho completely isolated. We actually talked about that same exact little tactical tweak uh, in the man's in the podcast where we reviewed the Man City match. That's why we were right. able to get out of the back was because Conte was not only making the runs forward to relieve pressure, but he was also picking and choosing the right times to drop in deeper than Jorginho to recover the ball and then eventually find Jorginho just so he could recycle play and, and, and get back into gear. Andres, what, what do you think about the uh, about this tweet? I mean, like I said, he does have a point and, and, and what Dexter said to, to combat that also makes sense, too. Yeah, and and just to say something a little bit different than Dexter, one thing that I've just kind of tried to take a step back in and see why he keeps trying this is across the Premier League, I don't think, okay, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think any team outside of us, and if you consider Liverpool a false nine, mm-hmm. and maybe Man City when they play without Aguero, are the only teams that run a false nine. Is, is is that a good assumption? Like those are the yeah, only three. I don't teams? even think Liverpool runs it anymore. I, yeah, I, thought, I, I think they're running like that four-two-three-one. Right. Yeah. So there's a reason for that, and the the quick solution to that, or quick point to that, is that most Premier League defense defenses are built behind two stalwart center backs. Mm-hmm. Putting a guy like Hazard, Mertens, help. Obviously, Leo Messi's out of this world, but he played that false nine for a little bit. These more minute maestros that pull strings in that hole between two physical center backs and most likely one or two defensive mids is a nightmare. It's a nightmare. You have Eden Hazard, who is by far the best player in the league, 10 goals, 10 assists, and he can't do it all. He can't. He can't operate in that spot. Like, There's a reason for that, and that's just – the nature of the Premier League. So Rubik P or Ruby KP is right. Like in Italy, it might work. In Spain, it might work where these people think that they don't need to be pressing, that they mm-hmm. they don't need to be on the forwards back all the time. But it's a Premier League. Like people that come from those leagues struggle with the physicality of the league. And that kind of goes into this formation. So that's the one thing I really don't like. And yes, Dexter, you pointed out that the only option we have Giroud and that's not a great option. But Hazard has scored, apart from the false nine, when we had a striker, all his goals with Giroud on the field. Right. So I get it. The, his, the whole thing that's kind of bugging me recently is that Sorry keeps going back to, oh, in the false nine, we have a stronger defensive phase. But he's not pointing out the fact that we're scoring less goals. We actually yeah. were scoring more with Morata or Giroud starting with Hazard out on the left. Yeah. And it's kind of a give and take at this point. I, I think he needs to kind of also <clears throat> look back and just in this very season, what has worked for this group. But to go off of what Doug said, I agree that you have to stick to the 4-3-3. Pep tried in his first season, tried like eight formations and he ended up in fourth place. Like there's a there's a a risk factor there. If you don't get your point across, then you're never going to get it right. Like it took Jurgen Klopp a while for his Gagan pressing system to really take off and not give mm-hmm. up three goals against South, uh, Sunderland or Southampton. Like he was getting battered by random teams here and there because everyone was tr- still trying to figure out how to do it. So give him time, but the players need to buy into it. And that's yeah. the part where right. the mentality came in. Like 
and I've mentioned this about William, and I noticed it a lot in this last game, our wingers sometimes are too tight centrally. Like, we can't open up spaces when everyone wants to be that hero and play mm-hmm. centrally. Like, we need to do – and Conte does this well, where he makes a darting run forward where he almost 100% of the time knows he's not getting that ball. Nobody's going to look for Conte to go into the box, get the long ball, and score. But when he does that, he opens up space for someone else. And that's the beauty of this Saris-Mosari ball thing is that the constant movement off the ball lets other players move because you're pulling other people out of position. And until we see all 11 players buy in and actually bust their ass for 90 minutes to help another teammate, it's it's not going to work. Do you think that has to do with the mentality, though, or is that more along the lines of they just need to get on a training pitch and execute? I, I think it's part of the mentality. I mean, look, I don't know if it's gotten to his head, but Marcus Alonso, I think it, the comment that Sari made at the beginning of the year where he can be one of the world's best at left back has gotten to his head. Just two weeks ago, he told Hazard to screw off. Literally, it was visual. He waved him away. Mm. And in this game, there was a play specifically where Alonso was given all the time in the world up the left flank he doesn't pass it to William who makes a forward run behind the defense then after he misses that opportunity Hazard splits two defenders to actually put himself in a good position doesn't pass it to them and then Alonzo forces a cross into a box with no players in it so yeah I think it's a mentality thing I'm I'm gonna cut you off before we get too into Alonzo because we are gonna get into him in one second I just wanted to cover these David Luiz quotes really quick um, just to kind of tie up the the loose ends of this whole press conference, uh, you know, section of the podcast. So David Luiz had some interesting quotes. Not really surprising. I mean, this is something you expect one of the locker room leaders to say. I'm not going to read the whole quote because I think it's kind of pointless. But basically what he's trying to say – actually, I'll read an excerpt. Why not? He says, quote, what he has done has been amazing. So we have to try to improve the details now. I don't think players are turning. Everybody is trusting his job and everybody is with him. Obviously, you know that a locker room leader is going to go into a press conference and say that. I can't even count on one hand how many times I've seen a player go into a press conference and name drop a manager or completely bash a manager or bash a tactical approach blatantly. I think we could all agree on that. But do you genuinely believe, David Luiz, what you're seeing on the field, do you see genuine belief on the player's part in the manager and vice versa because now we're starting to see sorry uh really get public with his lack of trust in some of the team now i know he doesn't specifically name drop players and i think that's where sorry's uh that's where sorry's cleverness comes into play and his wit because i think he's smart enough to know that if he specifically name drops one player it's over the second you start name-dropping players, it's done. Jose Mourinho did that, and it was over. And uh, <laughs> at more than one club also, needless to say. But um, are you seeing that the team believes in what's going on? I mean, do you see belief at all? Uh, Andres, why, why don't you kick this one off? Oh, man. <laughs> I appreciate David Luiz coming out and saying that because, like you said, he is one of the bigger figures in the locker room. So for him to quickly kind of address this is good. Had it been someone like Alonzo or Willian, I would have kind of just waved it off because they've made comments that make you think it's a rally cry before and, and nothing has come from it. But, um, I mean, he he is right. Obviously, Luis has seen a, a rejuvenation under Sari, um, and 
I'm glad for it. But yeah, I think he's right. They need to just kind of get in out of this maybe lull of a working nine to five kind of thing where you're just kind of going through the motions and, and really look for for that chance to improve and, and add the work that you need to. Because at the end of the day, these guys are playing for a bigger paycheck. If we don't make <laughs> Champions League, that hurts their resume as well as their pocket. So, Yeah. Dexter, what's your take on this? I believe bought- him. Yeah. I believe him. I think, um, I mean, I can't really think of anyone currently on the team other than, you know, maybe someone like Zapacosta or or Emerson who might not be happy with their playtime. I mean, obviously, like Hudson Adoy with everything that's going on with him and Byron. But, I mean, aside from that, I feel like everyone believes in the, the style of play. Everyone's, you know, trying to establish this new moment in the club. And I think we're just, unfortunately, in the mentality of the team, they're just too, they're too likely to get complacent. And you know yeah. what? I'm going to go out and say, like, it's it's typical Chelsea to lose against, you know, like a small club like Arsenal. And then, <laughs> and then, and then turn up, turn up for, uh, you know, a, a cup semifinal against, against, uh, against Spurs. So I'm, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to call it right now. They're going to go out and win that next match and, and, and take us to the final Love it. in, in a, in a confident fashion. I think, uh, you know, a big part of that is Spurs have a few injuries, yeah. which uh, is probably helping us out <laughs> at the just right a few, time. Just a few injuries. It's only yeah. their three best players. So. Right. Half right. their starting 11. Only yeah. a few injuries. A <laughs> couple injuries. One guy is in, uh, you know, in, in the, the Asian Cup tournament. So um, Is Aria, is he in trouble legally? Is he allowed to play? I, I, I'm not sure what his situation is with the domestic violence case. No, he's that guy's been a head case for a while. I, I feel like we dodged a real bullet with him, but we ran yeah. right into another one with Zapacosta. So. <laughs> right. Um, I'm thinking. I'm thinking. We 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 have to win that game. Yeah. And 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 if we don't, then that's that's gonna be worrying. But it it really it's setting up for us to to come out, hopefully reinvigorated after this 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 really disappointing loss. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully with a focal point with Iguain up front. I, if I could never see Hazard play as a striker again or a false nine, I'll, I'll be extremely happy. Yeah. Um, and let's let's put this behind us and let's let's bang on for the rest of the season. I I just want to point out one more Twitter question before we move on to the next section of the podcast, which is the scapegoats. Um, or I'm using my air quotes as well because I don't necessarily agree with um, what the crazy Twitter people post um, all the time. But uh, just one last question. So at Black Emoji, actually a regular tweeter of the pod, I, I think we could officially consider him, as Psalm would say, an ultra. So <laughs> on Psalm's behalf, Black Emoji is officially an ultra of the pod. But why are people acting like – he asked, why are people acting like being in fourth place with a three-point gap is like being in 16th tied with 20th? <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and address this first because this is something very near and dear to my heart. A lot of people, specifically Chelsea fans, have this false sense of entitlement that's just sort of sickening in a way where – I mean I, I, 
I'm I'm young, so you know I'm I'm still in my mid twenties. So I've only really seen the Roman Abramovich era, um, at least that's what I remember. So Chelsea has always had a decent side or a side that's always competing for one cup competition every season, minimum. Um, but I'm not going out on Twitter and demanding that the team win trophies every single year, that the team competes for the league every single year. I like to think that I'm a little bit more uh, cautious with my expectations, but for the, for, I don't want to say mass majority, but for the Twitter losers that are going out there and moaning and groaning about, you know, about the state of the team in general right now, let's not forget we're in fourth place. We still have a three point gap ahead of Arsenal. And if you look from top to bottom, I still think we are a better team. And now that we have a guy like Iguain coming in who could bang in goals, look, we're three points ahead of Arsenal without a striker. Let's just put it that way. Now we're going to bring in a guy who's proven um, in Europe that he can score goals by the buttload, and especially under Maurizio Sarri. I mean, I think we are going to get a temporary boost, and we are going to get a, 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 a little bump in form. But temper your expectations, guys. I mean, we're in fourth place. Like Black Emoji said, we're not tied for 20th. We're not about to get relegated. I feel like people are reacting a little bit similarly to the way we reacted in the, in the 15-16 season where it was just god-awful and we were like a, a, a proper mid-table side. And I feel like the reaction might even be worse now. And I just think it's embarrassing from, from a Chelsea fan perspective. That's embarrassing that we have this sense of entitlement, that we're supposed to win things all the time that there's no way that Chelsea could be in this state of flux or state of transition with a new manager, a new philosophy, a couple new players coming into the squad, a new system. I mean, what do you guys think? Am I the only one that gets kind of like irritated about this? I mean, Dexter, do, do you see what I'm saying? Or is it just kind of like, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, you know, preaching to a dead choir. Oh no, man. It's, it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's 2019. I feel like, outrage is in <laughs> like <laughs> the millennial just, the millennial yeah, rage everyone feels like their opinion needs to be heard so you know if anything goes wrong they're just lashing out on twitter on reddit yeah i i i stay far away from chelsea social media after any any loss um it's just it's it's vile it's vile stuff and if you i mean if you really look it goes pretty deep. I mean, we have our players now like deactivating comments on their social media pages because mm -hmm. just really nasty backlash and, and attacks pointed at certain people. I mean, Murata, not the greatest uh, player for us, needless to say, but you know, some of the, some of the abuse directed at him at William, um, even at Christensen lately. I mean, it's just been, it's, it's been, it's been pretty rough. Um, and it's, it's definitely not the best look for, for the club supporters. And I, I think the majority of supporters have a level head on them. Um, it's just, unfortunately, you know, the, the, the negative Nancy's usually have the, the loudest voices. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, with that being said, Andres, I, I don't mean to skip over you, but I mean, let's, let's just get into the supposed scapegoats. Uh, as Chelsea Twitter um, yeah, let's do it. made them out to be. So, I mean, we, we started talking about Alonso, so I, I know it's a little later in the script, but let's just pick up from there. 
We'll start with Nick Leonardson's question. So he asked, uh, what does Alonzo do in order to start each game? Um, <laughs> Andres, I mean, could you even begin to explain what you think Maurizio Sarri sees that uh, Alonzo <laughs> offers that Emerson can't at this point? He's tall. <laughs> I, I, that's the only thing that based on what Maurizio Sarri has said is is uh, sticking with me is that wow. against so, City, he mentioned that the reason he picks Alonso is that he adds height in set pieces. But I just want to make a counter argument to that. Both goals against us this weekend came from set pieces. So that's obviously not a solution. And yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know because he he's not the greatest defensively positionally. He's not the greatest athlete. So people do tend to target him as part of their game plan. He hasn't scored or gotten himself in a actual scoring position recently, except for like those headers when, you know, we're all obviously when we're already losing and he's trying to force something. But yeah, I, I don't get it. The, the fatigue is building. Is Emerson really that bad of a second option? Like I, that's the part. It's not so much what, Alonzo is doing or not doing is what did Emerson do to sorry like that's really yeah. what I what did that guy do I mean I mean when when we've seen Emerson play in the cup matches he's looked good and and he's usually been the talk of the town during cup matches right I mean you go into Twitter you go anywhere on social media that's Chelsea related and you'll see something about Emerson right um I mean I I have no clue why sorry doesn't rate Emerson um, but at the same time, you have to understand that we're only fans watching such a small sample size. Maurizio Sarri is going into training and he's seeing these players play every single day of the week and he's coaching them and he's developing relationships with them and molding them into the positions and into the system. So could Emerson possibly be like another case of a Batshuayi where there's talent there and there's something that he can offer, but He's just not that coachable because we heard that argument for Batshuayi before where, you know, he's not the sharpest tool in the box. I don't really get that vibe from Emerson. I mean, he's solid defensively. He beats players 1v1. We Don't even get me started on his link-up play because that's something Alonso doesn't have any of. Um, and, and, and he's great technically as well. So my only logical explanation for this is maybe Sarri sees Alonso as someone that could provide a goal threat. I don't really buy the whole, oh, we need height on set pieces nonsense because we don't even I, – I, I mean the, the set piece – our set pieces and defending set pieces is nonsense in general. I am so over the zonal marking thing, but that's an argument for another day. But that's the only logic I could think is Alonzo could offer that goal threat. But what we've seen from Emerson is he can provide an assist threat and he could actually wrap his foot around the ball and provide a good delivery into the box, which is – Something that we haven't seen Alonzo do all season, basically. Uh, De- Dexter, what do you think? What's Sari not seeing in Emerson, or what is he seeing in Alonzo? I I wish I knew. <laughs> <laughs> it is it's 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 so frustrating. It's like F- football expert Dexter with. Uh, I mean, I mean, it's like you know, we kind of saw the same thing with Mourinho and Ivanovic back mm-hmm. in. I think it was. 14, 15, like he just kept playing him and he just kept playing him and no one understood why. Like we all knew that he just kept getting burned and like, like, please give this guy a rest. And for some reason, just kept putting him out there. And I mean, with Alonzo, like 
again, I think he offers maybe a lot in the mentality standpoint. Like he he does seem like he has some some sort of leadership qual- qualities there. I mean, he he can be an attacking threat um, as evidenced so, by some of the goals that he scored. But I mean, he's so clearly out of form right now. Yeah. It's just like he needs, and, and we have a pretty good option with Emerson, yeah. at least from what we've seen from him. And I, 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 I just, I don't get it. I honestly don't get it. I, I don't think Alonzo is, obviously he's not the natural fit for this, uh, for this system and the way Sorry wants to play. I don't think he's a natural fit for any team that wants to play possession attacking football in general. Right. Right. I think I, you know, it, it's clear that he's just a natural wing back and that he needs to be playing at a club that plays with wing backs. Um, but you know, we touched on his fatigue and it's clear that he does look fatigued to a certain extent, but this is also an interesting debate to me because this is something we haven't talked about in, at, we haven't talked about before up until like the Tottenham match last year at home where we got blown out at home three, one again. Um, it, it, it seems like he might be getting overplayed because under Conte, there was a little bit of rotation, right? Like sometimes Pedro would drop into one of the wing back spots and Dave would shift over to the left and, you know, he, he, he would get his breaks every now and then, but we also didn't have a European competition, um, so, you know, there's obviously less games to go around, but we never, ever, ever talked about his fatigue or his work rate or, or, or his lack of work rate or lack of effort under his first year, uh, his first year under Antonio Conte. But now it seems like that conversation is coming up again. D- do you attribute this to the mental state of, you know, the squad and just like the way we're playing? Do you think he's just has a, having a little dip in form or do you think he's tired, Andres? I think the fatigue is what's causing him to have those mental lapses. You know what I mean? Like you yeah. always hear that you're yeah. training that all of the, the, you know, the conditioning and all the training you do is so that by the time you reach that 88th minute of the game, you're still at a clear head. Yeah. Um. So I think that's part of it that because he's fatigued, he's not, his neurons are just not firing as quickly as they should be. So mm-hmm. that's where you miss the pass to William or the simple pass to hazard. And that might be part of it. Again, I think he's comfortable. He's been the outright starter now for three seasons and has faced zero competition. Lord knows why from now two different managers and they've both praised him in their own way. So yeah, I just think, He's just comfortable, man. Like it's kind of yeah. one of those things where you're at a job where yes, you're making your money, you're going there eight to five, you're not really pushing yourself, but you're still cashing in those checks. So I think that's where Alonzo is right now. This is this is an interesting question that uh, at Monty SW6 asks us. So we mentioned Pep a little earlier, and and this does tie in with the whole Emerson debate because this could be you know food for thought. But he asked. Should Sari be taking notes on Pep's use of midfield playmaker options with the two Silvas and also the use of the left back and right back moving into a defensive midfield block to enable the midfield to attack the goal? So what basically what he's saying is the the way Man City play now, their fullbacks, when they're in possession and deep in the opposition's half in the final third, their fullbacks almost tuck in and, and, and almost play uh, like a midfield three with Fernandinho in the middle. And that's why teams struggle to break out against man city because you know you have 
five creative players uh, playing in and around your box. And when you break through them, you have three defensive players just waiting there just to just to intercept passes and nick the ball off of you. For me personally, this is something that I don't see Chelsea doing because Azpilicueta will not do a good job at that role as much as I love him. Um, and Marcus Alonso is completely incapable of doing it. But you look at guys like Emerson who are used to playing multiple positions because let's not forget at Roma he was used as a winger as well, just an out-and-out winger. Um, but he also has the pace and the ability to pick out passes and the technical ability to play in the midfield. So let's say we do bring in another right back at some point. Should Sari be looking at the way Pep uses his midfield? It would be completely different. Traditional Sarismo, air quotes, uh, style of play, right? Yeah, that's that's totally different. And that's why I think we won't see it either of those things, honestly, because to do what he does in midfield, that would mean that we drop Jorginho and move Conte back. And that's a non-starter, as we've seen this season. So there's I, I don't want to even get to what that may look like, because then I'm opening the door for everyone that's calling for Conte to go back to his natural position because he's not right. doing anything box to box, etc. Which, by the way, I think he's done great. And right. then the use of the left back, right back, that causes issues as well because the whole point of the attacking fullbacks under Sari's system is that they're overlapping the wingers and they're supposed to be showing that true depth so that Hazard and whoever the right winger is or should be can cut inside and get into the box for those little tap-in goals kind of thing. So this would alter everything that Sari's trying to preach right now. So, I mean, it might be something to deploy against like a specific opposition but i think we're kind of it's too early to try to make such a radical change when we're not even through learning the 433 yeah i think uh i think dexter would probably be inclined to agree i just thought it was an interesting yeah. question to include because you know, we, we talk about his stubbornness and the way he could switch up formations and adapt the team but I mean, if you really do move your left back and right back into a more central position, I just feel like it's going to make our team that much more narrow. And Andres touched on it. We play a hybrid version of vertical tiki-taka. So, and, and also, like, you know, Pep Pep is doing this partly because he doesn't have a natural left back right now. Mendy is hurt again. And so he's using this as a way to adapt with what he's got. Yeah, because he's, he's been playing Delph at left back, and Delph's a natural defensive mid. So it's, right. It's kind of and, a match made in heaven right there. Yeah, and, and Kyle Walker's adapted well to it, but he probably would rather sprint past people down the sideline. So, yeah, yeah while, while I think that it's a very innovative way of doing it and it's, like you said, very stifling for a team who's trying to boot the, the, the ball out of the back and, oh, great, the ball lands on another Man City player. It's just it's just not what we need right now. I, I don't. It's kind of like, why add a whole nother textbook when we haven't even finished chapter three of the one we're learning right now? Yeah. So, yeah, just I don't think the timing is right. But, you know, once we have this system down and we, you know, maybe we're back in the Champions League and we're facing somebody like Bayern Munich or an elite co uh, team where, you know, we kind of need to adjust to what they do. Maybe then we can try something like this. So, I mean, I'm going to I'm going to pass this one on to Dexter. He's going to be the first to comment on it. But, I mean, the the talk of the town right now in terms of scapegoats is Jorginho. Um, and, and you hear this a lot on Twitter. You hear it a lot in social media in general. Even the, even just 
the regular media, uh, just normal news outlets that write stories, or you pop open your Bleacher Report team stream and you see this, Jorginho has over 2,000 passes and not assist to his name. Jorginho is shit. Jorginho needs to play further forward. Jorginho is not allowing Conte to play in his natural position. Jorginho can't run. He can't defend. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Dexter, I mean, where do you stand on his performances? Because I vouched for him last weekend, and I'll still vouch for him today. Yes, he didn't have the greatest match against Arsenal, but people have to understand that our team is very much a systematic, philosophical team. And sorry, will not deviate from that philosophy and from that system. So I just kind of think it's a lost cause to to go and beat the drum about Jorginho not putting up these ridiculous stats that people are expecting him to. Because frankly, that's not really his role. I mean, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, if anything, that that stat based role kind of belongs to the the Barkley RLC Kovacic role, which. Even even out of that left center mid position, we're not really getting any sort of production that we should be getting out of it. That's arguably um, a bigger issue than Jorginho not playing. Oh, absolutely. Players, absolutely. Which, is, which is why it's just blatantly irresponsible to go out and just blame Jorginho for everything. And I almost wish, and I, I'm glad, you know, I'm, I, but I almost wish he, he would miss a match just so people could see how horrible we would be without him. Yeah. We would be terrible. We would be mm-hmm. absolutely terrible. And I think because he isn't this huge like stat-based player you know people aren't seeing the value that he brings to the team but he really is that heartbeat that kind of keeps things going Um, yeah i mean he he is very reminiscent of like a sergio busquets type of role where right everybody looks at barca's you know the greatest barca teams of all time and 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 you tell them to point out the one player that's replaceable in that squad and they would always point out busquets but little does anybody know that Busquets is probably the best one to two touch midfielder in the world. And Jorginho, I'm not saying he's one of the best one to two touch midfielders in the world. I'm not saying he's close to Busquets, but the characteristics and what he brings to this Chelsea team is very similar. And it's not far fetched. Busquets has never had more than four assists in a league season. Same as Jorginho. They're, he's not going to put up stats, he's not going to be making that final ball. All he's going to be doing is dictating the tempo and assisting the assister, right? Right. Creating creating from deep. Um, a lot of people like to use the argument about David Luiz. Well, David Luiz has more assists than Jorginho this season, and he plays you know 15 yards further back on the pitch. Well, David Luiz hits long balls. That's his style of play. David Luiz has never been the type of center back to play short passes in the back line. If I have a mental image of David Luiz on the day I die, it's going to be David Luiz picking his head up and pinging a 70-yard long ball to Pedro right over the top. <laughs> we never imagined David Luiz playing no side passes, right? I mean, it's just understanding the personnel and the players you have. How do you feel about Jorginho playing in that position compared to N'Golo Conte? Because I think that's that's where the, that's where the basis of the argument comes from. Well, oh, we have the best defensive midfielder in the world and we're playing him out of position. I mean that's kind of the the that's kind of the 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 misnomer, right? I mean Conte has never played in a midfield one in that position. He's played off of a midfield two in actually a little bit more of a box box role. Like if you look at his heat maps in his Leicester season and compare it to probably under Conte's first season and then this season, a lot of it's relatively the same. He's 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 destroying. Pretty much all over the pitch. I think the only difference is now he's destroying a little bit further up the field, and then yeah. making these forward runs and getting a few more goals. 
I, th- um, I, th- I think he's adapted to his role really well. Oh, I think so me. too. I think he's I, I think, player I think of the he season. Looked, yeah, yeah. I mean, in that midfield, I think he's definitely put together the best body of work to date. I don't think that's far-fetched at all. Absolutely. But, and, and Nick Lenartson asked uh, a funny question as well. Um, he asked, what the hell do we need to do in order to explain Jorginho's role at Chelsea Football Club? <laughs> uh, gosh. Um, probably just... I mean, here's the thing. Everyone loves to just, like, bash things short-term, but, like, I'm trying to find off the top of my head, like, look, Juventus. And I, I know, again, I'm comparing him to Pirlo. Pirlo is a legend. You Obviously, Jorginho is not there yet. But Pirlo needed to have Marquisio and Vidal side to side to him to allow him to be the player we know. Yeah, Pogba playing in front of him as well. Right. So he was guarded from both sides because these other guys are supposed to be doing the defensive work to allow Mm. him to pick these passes and be a regista. Mm. I don't think we've let Jorginho do that since the first five games of this season. And again, at first it was easy because nobody was really picking him up and, and man marking him. But Again, that that comes from that thing I mentioned earlier about not being selfish and, and kind of just doing stuff for the team. I hate hearing the Conte argument because, again, I think he's improved a lot as a player this season, and it's only going to get better. Mm-hmm. And for those people saying, oh, well, Conte can't score, it's like, again, we shouldn't even be depending on Conte to be the guy that scores. Allen in Napoli wasn't a goal-scoring machine either, and they were doing just fine. Um, but, yeah, it's... I don't know how to explain the Jorginho role right now because people just aren't getting it. It's simple as that. They want, they think that Jorginho is the equivalent of like a number 10 and it's just so different. It's mm-hmm. so different. They think that because he's behind the two center mids, he's a defensive center mid. So his defensive numbers should be good. But again, even in this Arsenal loss, we had 64% possession. No team with 64% possession is going to have crazy high defensive numbers because you have the ball. You're not defending. So Oh, man, I don't know what it's going to take. It seems like the only thing that can quiet these current fans that are reactionary is trophies. So hopefully we can get one in the cabinet this season and just tell them to uh, F off. (laughs) Yeah. Right. I want to move on because I don't really want to spend much more time on Jorginho because I think the argument's a lost cause. Those who hate him are just always going to kind of hate him and have this vendetta against him. That just seems to be the trend that you know, a lot of fans uh, follow nowadays, you know, they don't really give players a chance. And, 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 and something I really want to mention really quick is a, a lot of the argument has been based on the defensive side, right? I don't think people doubt his, his, his passing ability or, or his footballing IQ, because those are, those are his two best attributes. But I, a lot of people will make the argument that we're not as great of a defensive team or the whole middle of the pitch is gone when Jorginho is playing there. There was one play specifically I remember uh, this past weekend against Arsenal where I, I forget who it was, but someone dribbled past Jorginho at pace, like at full speed, and he literally just blew by him. And Jorginho offered little to no cover, similar to similar to the to the Sun goal, the first Tottenham match. For everybody that points out that specific moment, and, and, and something I thought during that moment is I wasn't necessarily thinking oh, God, Jorginho's terrible defensively. I'm thinking, how the hell did the team put him into this position where he has to be isolated against a pacey winger? Because you 
take any defensive midfielder in the world and put him up against a pacey winger, you're always going to take the pacey winger to, to beat him in a foot race, right? That's not why we brought Jorginho in. And it just always it always goes back to this argument of you got to temper your expectations. You have to understand the players that we have and the system that we're playing before you could make any sort of judgment, right? I don't think that's too crazy. Uh, maybe I'm just a psycho, but I'm going to move on. I want to talk about our, our front three minus Eden Hazard. So William Pedro and Callum Hudson-Odoi. Let's start with William really quick because we are uh, getting kind of low on time and, and Dexter has to get back on daddy duty. Um, <laughs> William, William's basically no stranger to public bashing on Twitter. And Dexter even mentioned it. Some players have to delete their Instagram comments, a.k.a. William is probably the most recent example is it deserved or should fans again temper their expectations and realize the player and his role in the team because William has never been a 10 to 15 goal season player not once in his career has he done that so why expect him to do something like that at the age of 30 uh Andres you want to start um I think again it's this reactionary fan base it's again oh sorry turned Callejon into this amazing role player and you know people just think that this is FIFA and that you alter your little tactics and suddenly a player in his 30s is going to look like a 25 year old in his prime yeah I I think that that's the issue because when you hear people complaining you know, we're, we're big fans of the Chelsea fan cast and Dan Sills and Stanford Chich. Those guys aren't being like, why the hell is William score, not scoring 30 goals a season? Like that, you never hear them say that because they understand, they, they've watched football for so long that they understand players are different. But yeah. then you have at, I don't know, at Willianista on Twitter saying that William needs to score more because he's playing sorry ball and that's his whole job. Like, we would love for him to score more, but again, it's it's hard to change a 30-year-old's way of playing at this point. This is what he knows. This is what he does. I wish we could teach him to cut to the left instead of cutting to the right, but listen, he's 30. It's not going to happen. Yeah. He's, he's, he's made. He's sculpted. He's already almost a final product of the kind of player we're going to remember him for. So I, I, I want to move it on to Callum Hudson-Odoi, and I'm actually going to hand the torch off to Dexter on this one because – uh, Andres, I think me and you have beat the drum enough about our stance on Callum Hudson-Odoi. Dexter, in case you didn't know, we are huge fans of the kid. I actually predicted him to score the match winner against Tottenham and, and slide and kiss the badge right in front of the shed end. So um, <laughs> you could kind of get a gist of uh, where where we hold him in terms of regard. Is he really ready to slot in on the right? And, and, and I mean, I don't want to say can he be an answer to our problems, but can he help bring some positivity back into the squad and, and possibly inject some youth and energy? I mean, I think it can't hurt at this point. I mean, we, 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 we desperately need, um, like you said, just energy and, and tenacity in that mm -hmm. front three and some, and some creativity. What we lose, I think with, with starting him is um, a little bit of the, the defensive work when, when, when not in possession, but yeah, you know what we gain, um, obviously, is is you know a ton of pace. Uh, he, he tends to be direct when he's attacking. Mm -hmm. um, he was but, one of the few players who was able to 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 make some assists with Murata on the field this year. Um, I think you know it, it 
it's really worth giving him more minutes. Um, you know, for me, and I, I see, you know, we're going to talk about it a little later, but Pedro's the, the, the top uh, for me on that right wing spot. But when he's not healthy, I, I would love to see more of, of uh, Hudson-Odoi starting. So, I mean, uh, moving on to Pedro, I guess, I mean, we don't really have to say much about him. I think we all share the same opinion. He's proven, he scores goals, he works hard off the ball, but he also gets injured every time he hits a decent run of form. I mean, keep in mind, he's also 31 years old, so he's definitely probably not on a long-term plans. If you had, let's say Iguain signs tomorrow, which looks to be the case, we bring Iguain in, obviously Hazard slots in on the left. Do you guys start Pedro on the right? I mean, Andres, what do you think? And then uh, Dexter, you could you could take over after him. Sorry, repeat the last bit. Who on the left? So uh, obviously, if we bring in Iguain, he'll he'll play at the nine. Hazard mm-hmm. Hazard shifts back over to the left. Who do you start at at the right wing? If if you had the name like your start your your strongest front three. Oh, I think that it's a it's a toss up, but I think for now it's Pedro because he's. He's kind of on a run of form. He was unlucky yeah. not to score against Arsenal. So I think you you ride the way with him. But, you know, we're about to start playing three games a week again. So yeah. just kind of got to be patient even when Higuain comes in. I, Cho will get his time, and if he performs like we think he should, then he'll jump Pedro before the season ends. Uh, Dexter, what do you think? What, what what's, the best, uh, what's the best person to accompany Higuain and Hazard? Or oh, who's the best person? Pedro, yeah, without yeah. a doubt, without a shadow of a doubt. He just he offers so much. Mm-hmm. He works so hard off the ball. He's he's great in link up play. Like uh, it, it's it's a pleasure watching him play. And yeah, I, it is. I I really wish he can just stay fit for the rest of the season because I think the three of them up front. And you know, I, I if we're gonna throw in some curveballs, I I would actually like to see William maybe start in that left center mid position. Because right wow. now, no no one's really locked it down. Yeah. Um, and maybe he can offer something different there that, that we haven't seen yet. But um, We really we need just, Loftus-Cheek to come back. Oh, my God. It'd be amazing. And it, it would sucks be because he never really got like a run of games in that position. He's only just, played here like, like here and there. And then he picks up the injury. And it's just and it like... It's like just when it was his moment, he picks yeah. up the injury. You know? And I, mm-hmm. I would love to see him get healthy and, and slot right back in that spot. And I, I think... We still have so much to play for. Like this, this season can still end on a really high note. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's a really good place to kind of leave off our conversation here, is because I said, like I said in the beginning of the pod, we are in fourth. We're still, we still have a Champions League spot, and we're still in every cup competition that we started the season in. So right. when 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 you look in the grand scheme of things. We haven't figured out a solution at left back. We haven't figured out a solution at left mid. And we haven't figured out a solution up top, yet we're still in the top four. And we have one of the most shallow uh, squads in the league in terms of players that Sarri's willing to use. Things are still looking pretty good. Um, What I would say, just as a caveat to that, is I do think we need another midfield player in this window. I I think if we lose out on we already lost out on Barella, but if we lose out on Paredes as well, which looks to be the case now, um, we are going to definitely be in trouble because there there is a complete reluctance to move Jorginho out of that role and 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 to slot someone else in there. And the only other person sorry really trusted was a 31 year old Cesc Fabregas who has tons of experience. I don't think it's realistic to think at all that. He would put a guy like Ampadu there, um, possibly Kovacic. But 
again, Kovacic is another guy that started out the season really well and hasn't really offered much since. But going off what Dexter just said, let's end on a positive. Um, we, we have two games this week. Um, obviously, the Tottenham game on Thursday and then the Sheffield Wednesday game uh, on the 27th, which is a Sunday. So, um, Dexter, you already gave your prediction on Tottenham. Um, Sheffield Wednesday, I, I know you're probably going to predict that we're going to win, but just tell me something you would like to see in that match. Oh, man. If we can have a striker that scores a hat trick. <laughs> <laughs> For the first time since, what, yeah. Diego? Oh, or no, 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 it's, no. It's the first time since Morata. Morata. Yeah, when he we, fooled us into thinking he was when like we all thought he was going to be yeah we all thought yeah. he was going to be great um, yeah. <laughs> if, we could win, if we could win that game by like four four goals i'd be happy you know I mean, I, just we need to smash smash him we do i mean i'm looking at our i'm looking at our fixture list and uh we haven't scored more than two goals in a match since november the 29th against uh, Pauk. so um there you go i think yep. we're more than due for a uh, for uh, Jeez proper smashing so uh andres what do you think uh give me your prediction for the tottenham game and then uh the sheffield match i think that for the tottenham game we are gonna win i think like like dexter said we're gonna bounce back and we're gonna win i think that it's gonna be still a stressful game i don't think we'll dominate just because Pochettino likes to adapt to what he's looking for. And even with the injuries, somebody out there is going to try to put in a shift for whatever role he puts them in. But when it comes to the Sheffield game, I see, I really wanted Cho to start for Tottenham, but if he doesn't start there, I see him having a huge game there. And I think he at least gets a brace against Sheffield. Yeah. I would like to see, uh, I would like to see Ampadu, rack up a stat against Sheffield. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean a goal, but, like, maybe an assist or, like, uh, or maybe he could, like, directly impact a goal when a tackle and attacking third and lay someone off. I don't know. I already I, – I think I think we'll beat Tottenham if we get Iguain in. I think if we don't get Iguain in, it's pretty simple what uh, Pochettino has to do in order to nullify our attack. Just right. have someone sit on Jorginho and uh, – and and, and 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 force Hazard to drop deep because no one's going to run past him and, and, and make a run on the goal. But against Sheffield, I would really like to see Ampadu just sort of take that game by the scruff of the neck and be like, hey, look, that third midfield slot is up for grabs. Why not consider me, um, you know, at all? So, yeah, I think it's a good place to end off the podcast. Again, Dexter, thank you so much for coming on, man. It's It was awesome having you. And uh, I got to be honest – you were awesome today. We'd love to have you on again. Yeah, um, I'd, I'd love to natural. For- <laughs> yeah, awesome. he's a natural. Thanks for having me, guys. I, I had a lot of fun. Very, very presidential tone in your voice, Dexter. <laughs> um, anyways, that brings us to the end of this episode. Make sure you follow Andres' YouTube channel. Andres is uh, Star Spangled Blues, if I'm correct, right? That is correct. And yes. if you have us on Twitter, you can find the links. I'm actually – Working on getting this second video posted. I'm still very new to this YouTube thing. It's a little bit more complicated than I expected. So uh, bear with me as I try to figure this out. But again, for all your in-depth stuff, you can always come home to the Romans Empire pod. So thanks again to all our followers for coming through and, and listening on a weekly basis. Yes, we we really, really appreciate it. And in case you guys are wondering, uh, our Twitter handle is at Romans Empire Pod. You can also email us, RomansEmpirePod at gmail.com. 
look, we're open we're open to answering any questions and any conversation topics. For those of you that have tweeted at us so far, you know that uh, you could vouch for us. Um, whenever you tweet at us with a question or, or a talking point, we always, always, always try to squeeze it into the pod. So with that being said, I think we should end the pod off here. We're way over time. Uh, Dexter, go back to your kid. Andres, go to bed. And I'm going <laughs> to sign do. off. Until next time, keep the blue flag flying high.